Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to see you in spirit and a few that we have here tonight. Um, I, I'm very glad that uh, you've taken time to pull up a chair, uh, to get in front of YouTube or Facebook or whatever you're watching me on tonight. And I am really anticipating some, some good things from the word of the Lord. I'm, I'm tentative, tentatively excited uh, after you've preached a long time. Sometimes you want to make sure that uh, you don't jump ahead of yourself because sometimes you think that you're going to do a better job than what you do. So I don't want to set my expectations low, but I think the Lord really has laid something on my heart, so I'm going to keep my expectations high. So tonight, thank you for again for joining me. I want to start uh, with our little Bible study tonight in Psalm, the 24th chapter. <clears throat> now, one of the things that's really important to me, and I, I'm going to assume that it's important to you, is I want to be near the Lord. I want to be in his presence. My whole journey on earth has one purpose, that I can, I can be with him for eternity in a place called the New Jerusalem. And my life and your life is part of that journey. But my destination and my goal is to be in the presence of the one that I love. And that's the Lord Jesus. Now, when I, I get into the Old Testament, I go and I read a chapter, I'm reading, going to read a chapter from Psalms 24, where David seems to express in words the desire of our hearts. He starts off by declaring who the Lord is and what he owns. Verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully? Ah, oh, he shall receive blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob and the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, Salah. So he speaks to those listening. David says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Oh, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift them up, your everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? He's the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Salah. But as we end that chapter, it's almost like the lifting up of your heads is the lifting up of praise and, and worship. But the one thing that I want to point out before I get into my message tonight is before we can enter into the hill of the Lord 
or into the presence of the Lord, we must have clean hands. We must have a pure heart. We should not have sworn deceitfully. So saying all that brings me to the topic I want to talk to you about tonight. And I want to title this, Put Away Profane Fire. And of course, you may recognize this from a story in the Old Testament in Leviticus, the 10th chapter. And uh, before I read this, I, I want to just make a statement. As I, and like you do, as we continue to read our Bible over and over each year, I'm completely, I, I marvel, especially in the Old Testament when I'm going through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, about how stringent and detailed and exact the Lord was and how he wanted his people to approach him. When we look at the tabernacle, for instance, this was something that was well-planned. The ordinances of God were there for a purpose because he wanted people to know who he was and his character. So going to Leviticus 10, verse 1. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. Now these are the two oldest sons of Aaron. Each took his censer. Now I, I want you to sort of play, pay attention to this because I'm going to come back to it a little later. The two oldest sons of Aaron, each are going to go in together with their own censer. And they put fire in it and they put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they, devoured, they died before the Lord. They died in the act of worship in a type. The temple was like uh, the presence of God, the house of God. Everything in the temple represented our approach to God. The candlesticks, the altar of incense. So as they came in and went about the duties that they assumed would please God, God destroyed them. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Then Moses called Michel and Elsaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eliezer and Ithmar, his sons, now notice what he says, do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die. In other words, what he is implying is, you will not shed one tear. You will not perform one act of mourning 
for your two oldest sons, Aaron. If you do, I'll take your life. He was not permitted to grieve. Lest you die and wrath come upon all the people, but let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. Now he permits the rest of Israel to mourn, but he does not allow the father to mourn his two eldest sons. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you, and they did according to the word of Moses. So he wasn't allowed to grieve. He wasn't allowed to to attend the ceremony of burial. It seems harsh to some that don't understand exactly what's going on at which seems so unfair. But let me take a few minutes tonight and let's examine this story because I believe it has a direct reflection upon you and I in the church today. Now, I have to reiterate, the Bible emphatically says that God does not change. He is the same yesterday He's the same today, and he'll be the same forever. So I am going to assume that the same God that did this incident, that allowed this incident to happen, is the same God that's in the sanctuary and in the church tonight, and he has not changed. You know, it was just a week earlier, that they had uh, the consecration of the priest. Nadab and Abihu had only been placed in the priesthood one week earlier. It had only been a week, seven days. They, were, they had only been priest seven days. Now, the, the t- uh, tabernacle had been in existence longer than that. But God had provided Aaron with help in the priesthood. Aaron was the high priest, just as God helped Moses with elders and gave him people to help him rule. He also gave the Levites to Aaron to help him in the ministry of the tabernacle. So it was the descendants of Aaron who were consecrated and made priest. But amidst the blossoming time of the tabernacle and the growth of of intimacy between the creation of God or his people and the Lord, there was a canker in the midst of the fruit. There was something inside the hearts of those two young men that some might not have noticed but brought about their own demise that affected the beauty of everything that the Lord had established in the tabernacle. This act of rebellion on the part of of these two young men bore a higher price because they were called to be the priest. They were placed over the people to be leaders, to be an example, to be intercessors. By them not obeying the laws of God and contradicting the directions that God had given them in their approach to his presence, 
They were blemishing or changing something that was pure into something that was defiled. If they set the example of contempt for the word of God, the people themselves would follow. And again, I I mentioned that Aaron was not allowed to grieve because that, in a sense, would have blemished the character of God to see the priest grieve for the sin of those that had defiled the order of the temple. You can see the corpses of Nahab and Abihu lying in the forecourt of the sanctuary. Can you picture this? Can you see the dry eyes of Aaron? Can you see that his robe is not torn? This is the gravity of these dead men's sins and the righteousness judgment of God. It was very important that they performed the duties of the priesthood exactly as God had ordained them to. The holy anointing oil of on you, he said to Aaron, you will not leave. You are a holy priesthood. Of course, we know that a dead body would uh, cause a person to become unclean. The oil is a symbol of the Spirit of God. It separates those on whom it's poured from all contact with death. You couldn't touch a dead body. Otherwise, you would be unclean until evening. And there's a lot. If you've been reading your Old Testament, there's a lot written about being defiled by a dead body. Even in the New Testament, Paul, who was familiar with the law, wrote in 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verse 17, these words. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. It is so important in our approach to God that we we make sure of the cleanness and the sanctification and our approach into his presence. Did you know that the Levites were the replacement of the firstborn who belonged to God? Do you remember... In, the, uh, in Egypt, the Lord said the firstborn of all the cattle and all the livestock and of all, all the people are mine. They are mine. They belong to me. Do you know at this time when he established the temple, when he established the tabernacle, that he no longer required the firstborn of each family member? He made his, his priest the firstborn. He no longer required the firstborn of the family, the male child. The Levites became the firstborn. Let me read that to you. Then the Lord, in Numbers the third chapter, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock The Levites 
shall be mine. I am the Lord. They weren't, the Levites weren't given an inheritance of the land because the Lord was their inheritance. And I'm, I'm going to sort of maybe jump ahead and back occasionally. We're a type of the Levites. We're the church of the firstborn. Now, when I look back at Numbers, the eighth chapter, verse 14, thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine, for they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of all who opened the womb, the firstborn of all the children of Israel. Do you see what the Lord had done for the lineage of Aaron? This was a privilege, an honor, something that was, was so precious. But Nahab and Abihu treated it like it was nothing. I had mentioned about how the Levites were given to Aaron to help in the ministry. In Numbers 8, 19, it says, I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel. Okay, let me ask you a question. And some of you may be saying in the back of your mind, now how does all of this, Brother Steve, apply to us? Again, I'll tell you, the church... This New Testament body of believers is a type of the Levitical priesthood. We were called, called to minister before the Lord, to show forth his praise. We were to lead, be leaders and examples of God's holiness to the world. And because we have been placed in that position through the sacrifice that was made on the altar or the cross to redeem us, we hold a higher degree of responsibility. I have no inheritance in this earth. Just like the Levites had no inheritance in the land. None of them had a deed to property. The Lord was their inheritance I'm not of this world. I have no place here. Heaven's my inheritance. Peter said it well in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. But you, he's speaking to the church, are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. His own special people, that you may, may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We're the priesthood, we're the holy nation, we are His special people. And He's called us to show forth His praises in the ministry of the church. The church belongs to God through the new birth. Behold, you must be born again. 
in my old nature, my old life, I could not inherit this call. But through a death and a new birth, God has called me into a new life and a new position. We are new creatures and we're set apart onto his service, not our own service. I'm not here to raise money, to gather property. That's irrelative. I'm called to serve him in his purpose within the church. And I'm saying all this tonight to lay a foundation for you so that you might understand that uh, we're given a high calling. Our calling is the high calling of Christ. It's something that's been placed upon us that we never deserved. You know who our high priest is? Oh, I know you're going to answer that. But let's go look at it in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. Now notice this. Now after saying what I said about the tabernacle, look what the next part of the scripture says. Let us then approach the throne of his grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, friend, it's, it's, a lot of things may not have changed uh, as you had assumed they might between the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament was a pattern of something that was to become. That tabernacle in the wilderness, it was left there for a reason so that we might understand the importance and the high calling that we have in the New Testament church. You know, the church or priesthood of Christ is formed after the blood of the sacrifice has redeemed men from sin. Just like in the, with the priesthood of Levi, the Levitical priesthood, there were sacrifices paid for the redemption of those people. Those who took part of the blood were redeemed into the priesthood just as the sons of Aaron were. And I am redeemed or brought into the priesthood of Christ through the blood or the sacrifice of Calvary. Our bodies are a type of the censer that those two young men carried. They each had their own censer. They were dedicated unto the service of the Almighty. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? In other words, your body is a type of a censer that is dedicated unto the service of God. But I, I want to speak kindly, but I'm speaking to myself as I'm speaking to you tonight. The Lord's moved on me in the last couple of weeks and put this in my mind, and I have felt conviction in my own heart Oftentimes when we come into the presence of God to minister, 
to sing forth our praises, to worship him. Our censers are filled with profane fire. And because no one's slain in the sanctuary, we think it's all right. How much do we as Christians, when we worship, how often do we glow with self-will or selfishness? Bringing a fire in our own senses filled with self-righteousness and empty sacrifice. When we seek, seek to worship God for what we can get, oh Lord, we have become just seekers of gifts. When we rush into his presence with hot, eager desire, and when we've not even subjected ourselves to his will, we're burning strange fire, which he has not commanded us to bring. The fire that filled the censer had to come from one place. It had to come from the altar the brazen altar, the place of death and sacrifice. When I come into the presence of God and I want to lift up my hands before him, if I come in any other way, God is not pleased. It doesn't matter how loud I shout or how good I look. If I bring strange fire to him in worship, he feels the same way about me as he did about those others in the Old Testament. I know that sounds hard, but it's not hard. Who shall ascend into the hill of Lord, the Lord? Or who's going to enter into his holy place? Remember, that's where we started. David's saying, he that has come with clean hands and a pure heart. How do you get clean hands and a pure heart? How is it that you get the fire that pleases God it comes through repentance. It comes from, through a broken and contrite spirit. Notice in the Old Testament, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Now, notice how he, he mentions it in that scripture. If they will humble themselves, if I bring myself lower, I'm bringing God up higher. Okay, so let's go back. Let's look at a question. What then was the crime of these two rash sons of Aaron? So that it really involves two questions. What did they do? And what was the sin of doing it? They were tampering with the divine order which, which had been given to them just a week earlier. They had been given responsibility to remain consecrated and to administer the, the sacrifices of God. But what they were doing was they were thrusting in their own self-will and they were thrusting in their own personal notions as if it, their own personal feelings were equal with God's authority and 
comparable to God's commandment. They were men trying to, to act like God. They were tampering with the divine order that was given in their approach to the sacred and holy. They took upon themselves to decide what the distinction between holy and common would be, between clean and unclean, what they would be. So the sin of Nadab and Abihu was of a complicated nature. It, it, it consisted of several transgressions. Let's go back. Let's look again. They each took his own censer. They didn't take the sacred utensil of the sanctuary. I want you to stop. I don't want you to get drowsy on me. They took their own censer, not the sacred utensil that was designed for that. That's like me saying I'm coming to God with my own righteousness. I'm going to bring my own censer. I'm going to walk into the presence of God with my own self-righteousness. Don't you know that none are righteous? No, not one. To make this type of sacrifice, you needed to use a holy instrument. And they didn't. They came with their own righteousness. When I come before God in worship, I must put on his righteousness and not my own. I can't come with my own good deeds because they're like filthy rags to God. When I come into worship the Lord, I've got to come in his righteousness. And I need to put on his garment. Then there was another thing they did wrong. They both offered it together. The priest was to go in by himself, not two priests. One priest. It was to be offered only by one. But they decided, well, we'll go in together. So they're presumptuously enroaching upon the functions of the high priest. For according to the law, the high priest alone burned incense in a censer, Leviticus 16, 12 through 13. I'm reading from, I think I'm reading from a Leviticus at this point. When Aaron presents the bull for his sin offering and makes atonement for himself and his household, he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. Then he must take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them inside the veil. He's to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the cloud of incense will cover the mercy seat above the testimony so that he will not die. According to the word, only one person could go in near the mercy seat and that could only be the high priest. You know, it's something about our old nature. Sometimes we are like... Uh, who was it? Um, oh, let me go back here. I've got it. I don't even know if I'm going to make it to the end to talk about this. Korah. Korah and his friends. Sometimes we in our own self will feel that we're equal to Moses. Korah's whole issue 
was with Moses was, you know, who are you, Moses? You're nothing special. I'm as intelligent or maybe even more intelligent than you are. So Korah and his followers got together and said, hey, listen, we can, we can do a better job than you're doing. And they brought their censors. And Moses said, okay, do you see the, I'm going to show you how this relates to my story tonight. When Moses was challenged by Korah, God spoke to Moses and said, you tell these priests, you tell them to bring their censers and to bring their fire. And we'll see who I put in charge. So Korah and, and his followers, they brought their censers. They were priests. But they brought a fire that was different than what they should have been brought. And as they came, now there was another couple. There were some that didn't come with Korah. That was another group. They didn't want to withstand Moses directly, so they, well, they left Korah and they stood in the doors of their tents. And as they stood in the doors of their tents, they watched to see what would happen. Oh, they were, they were behind Korah. Yeah, they were way behind Korah. So God consumed Korah with fire. And he opened up and destroyed the earth of those that didn't come with Korah. And he wiped them all out. See, our human nature oftentimes is full of pride. It's always competitive. But when God establishes order, when God gives direction, he expects us to follow it to the T. We're not to presume that we can make a decision that's not our responsibility. Those ordinary priests only burnt that, that incense on the, in the holy place. They weren't allowed into the holiest of holies. Exodus 37 and 8 says, And Aaron is to burn fragrant incense on it every morning when he tends the lambs. When Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he must burn the incense perpetually before the Lord for the generations to come. Then the next sin that they committed these two young men, they filled their vessels with common fire instead of taking it from the holy fire of the altar, which was always used in burning incense. You know what? People don't think repentance is important anymore. They really don't. Just believe. Come your own way, just as you are. God loves you. It's all right. You can change the law of God. And that's exactly the spirit that entered into these two young men. Because our carnal nature, the human element inside of us, does not feel that it needs to be under authority to follow direction. But God has established in the New Testament, he's established protocols. He's established the things that the church should do in its approach to him in its worship. If we come any other way, regardless of our own self-justification, we are offering strange fire. And even though God doesn't kill us right away, God would have to apologize to those two young men for not. If he didn't. 
Do you know, I, even in the book of Revelation, it talks about where the fire's to come from for the censer. It talks in the book of Revelation um, that the angel taking the censer and the fire from the altar. It says in Revelation 8 and 5, and the angel took the censer and filled it with fire off the altar. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he preached to those people, the very first thing that he said that they had to do was they needed to repent. It wasn't even about baptism. The first word that he said was, you need to get fire from the altar in your approach to God. Before you can hit the brazen laver, you've got to get the fire of repentance. You've got to have a sacrifice. You can't take from somebody else's sacrifice. You've got to come yourself. But today it's, what can I get from God? But I really don't want to give anything. There's no sacrifice. Sometimes that old nature of ours makes it look like God's getting a good deal. Like, Lord, you're really blessed to have me. Look at the talents that I can offer the church. Look at the ability that I have. Who in the world, friend, do you think gave you that ability? It came from God. It's not even yours. I have to get a little light now. It's getting, too, it's getting pretty serious. It's pretty quiet in here. I wanted to say that. There's nobody here. That's why it's quiet. There's a few people here. It's quiet. That's all right. I remember... Um, when I started the Regency, I've always wanted to play the piano. Even when I was in Bible college, I, I wanted to play the piano. And I remember taking lessons with, oh, I took it with Sister Gleason, if you can remember her, Pam Gleason. Tremendous piano player. But because of how busy I was trying to work in my way through school, I just didn't have time to do it. But I always sort of fiddled around with the piano. And I remember when I was at uh, the Regency, I, I would sometimes be by myself in the, the, not the, in the chapel. And we had a piano there. And I'd say, Lord, of all the talent that you've given to people that, in the world that have died, you know, like Beethoven and Mozart and some of the stories you hear about the incredible talent that they, people that are deaf that can play beautiful music, and I said, they're gone. What happened to their talent, Lord? And I said, Lord, uh, I'm going to pray this. It's a little selfish, but please forgive me. But I'd really like to play. So if you could maybe give me a little of the talent that's just sort of laying by the side someplace, I'll dedicate it back to you. And it would be funny. After that, I would go and I would play the piano in, in the chapel whenever I had a chance. And I could almost hear someone talking in the back of my mind saying, you're pounding the keys, slow down, flow with the music. And I laughed at myself, maybe, maybe they're, they're just sort of teaching me on my own. But the talents that we have, they were gifts. They were given to us for one reason, not to entertain others, not to make money. They were given to us so that we could promote the holiness and and share in the, the beauty of the Lord's spirit and presence of God.
People today are determining how they, they're going to approach God on their own. Some people say, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to read my Bible. I can, I can find God in the woods. I can approach God any way that I want. I approach God through nature, one, one would say. How foolish you are. God has established exactly how you are to approach him. And you can say, well, that was for the Old Testament. No, no, no. The Old Testament was the foundation on which the church was built. Where do you think the fire came from on the day of Pentecost? Any idea? <laughs> Let me challenge you. Here's a question. On the day of Pentecost, there were cloven tongues of fire that, that sat upon each of them. Where do you think that fire came from on the day of Pentecost? It came from the cross. It came from the sacrifice at Calvary. That was what provided the fire. That's why the Bible says to me that I've got to take up my cross and follow him. The cross was a place of sacrifice and denial and humility. That's the only fire that I can bring that pleases God in worship. God kindles that fire in our hearts. Matter of fact, the Bible says, God granteth men repentance, not to be repented of. You know, some of us that are older, Don, I think, Brother, Brother Brown's with us tonight. Some of us that are older remember the days years and years ago when a person repented, they were just expected to cry. I mean, the, you could measure the altar service by the amount of Kleenexes left on the floor. I, I remember at ABI back, you won't remember this, some of you are too young for this, that the women wore their hair up. And I remember at ABI, they, they looked so strange. And I, I came out of the world at 21, and I was in Bible school at 20, 25, Till I was 25, and um, they wore oatmeal boxes on their heads. They would wrap their hair around the oatmeal boxes, and after service was over, people walked by and they judged how good it was by how many. What was it? What's the name of the oatmeal? The guy is Quaker Oats. How many Quaker Oat boxes were on the altar? Because there would be there would be emotion. There would be energy. There would be tears. There would be humility. There would be love. There would be patience. There would be charity. When you first looked at this, when we read it tonight, you might have thought, well, their sin was just a ceremonial sin. They just made a mistake in how they approached God. It was just a ceremonial thing, and God was, was harsh in his judgment. But if you really look at the core of their actions, they were flaunting 
rebellion in the face of God as if to say, I shall choose how I approach you. You shall not dictate to me how I come, but I will dictate to you how I approach you. That's really what they're saying. If they could only realize and see who they are in relationship to the one that they're trying to assume to be equal with. Those two men died, and I guess it was better that two men should die than a whole people perish by following the pattern of two rebellious kids. Remember, I said it before, these priests were held to a higher standard. They were to lead people into service to God. Those that stand behind this pulpit, that minister, must strive to live a holy life that is to be emanated and followed by others. That is your reasonable service. That is what God has called us to do. You know, when you look at those two young men as they lay dead on on the floor outside the tabernacle, if you could picture a powder keg full of gunpowder and you saw two live coals fall near the powder keg, it would be better to destroy the two coals lest you ignite the powder keg. And that's exactly what happened. And this isn't just a one-time experience where God did it just to two people. In 2 Samuel 6, verse 7, we find a man named Yuza. He also is a Levite. He's reaching out to touch an ark that's about to tip over. And notice what it says in verse 7, the Lord's anger burned against Yuza because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there before, beside the ark of God. Now some people would say, just like they might with those two sons of Aaron, well, he was just trying to help out. I don't understand why God, why God would do that. But see, the Levitical priesthood had become a little bit like the church is becoming today. Nobody took the time to go back and read how God should be approached or how you're even supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant because God had given explicit commands on how we were to act, how we were to approach him, and how we were to present him to others. And they just, usually just said, hey, listen, I'm going to serve God with good intentions. Your good intentions aren't good enough. Your good intentions will never save you. It is your obedience to the word of God and to Christ's direction. Jesus said this to us, the church. If you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said the same thing to Peter after Peter fell. Peter, lovest thou me? You said that you love me, but your actions seem to say otherwise. Show me your love by feeding my sheep. Well, what is he going to feed the sheep of God? 
You feed them the word of God. And Peter on the day of Pentecost fed the sheep. You know, if they wouldn't have placed that, that Ark of the Covenant on the ark, it would have never, never tipped or looked like it was going to fall off. God never wanted the ark or a mechanism to carry his presence. He wanted his presence carried upon the shoulders of those he loved. Yet we sometimes as a church, we try to develop programs to carry the word of God. When God says, that's not the way that I have set it up, you are a living epistle. You carry the message upon your shoulders. It comes forth from your heart and emanates from your mouth. And sometimes we wonder and we say, well, Lord, how come we don't see what the early church saw? It's almost like Ezra finding the law in the temple. We need to go back and open up the book and we need to reread it again and find out what God expects when we come to him in worship. God will not hear our prayer if our heart is not right. Now, I'm not telling you that to discourage you because there's plenty of fire on the altar. There's, there's plenty of ability for you to have a repentant heart and a humble heart. But you'll say, Brother Kylie, how do I know if my heart's right? How do I know if I'm humble enough? How do I know if I've repented enough to please God? Well, one of the ways that you can find out about that is how you respond to his word. Are you quick to say, yes, Lord? Or are you trying to find a way around what God wants you to do? Because if you're trying to do that, it seems to insinuate to me that you're, you're trying to do like these two young men did and say, I'm going to come my own way. I have to speak this as the Lord gives this to me tonight. Don't think by raising your volume that you're pleasing God. Even though it says, shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. Don't think the louder and the more demonstrative that you get, it's pleasing God. The thing that pleases God the most is your spirit. It's what's inside of you. The beauty of holiness. I wrote this down and I got to share this and I'm going to close in just a moment. If God is not honored by his servants, he will show his honor upon them. Not in a good way, but in a hard way. Let me say it again. If his people do not set forth his holiness and separation from all evil and elevation above all creatures, he will proclaim his truth through the things he brings upon the earth. Through the lightning, through the thunder, through the roaring. 
And I can say for sure that that's true because all we have to do tonight to look at what's going on in the world through man's disobedience and turning away from God to see what's coming upon the face of the earth. It's unfolding all around us. Luke 21 and 11 says, there will be great earthquakes. There will be famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Why? Because man has determined that he is God and that he can be equal with God. He's brought in to the same uh, doctrine that Satan presented to Adam and Eve. Know you not that if you eat this fruit, God knows that you'll be equal with him. You'll know good and evil just like he does. That was the bill of goods that was sold to Adam and Eve. And it's the bill of goods he's trying to sell the church and the people outside the church. It doesn't matter what you do. Oh, friend, it does. One of the other things is I was, I was going through some commentaries on this. It says in Leviticus 10 and 8, um, that Moses speaks to Aaron and talks about a strong drink. It might be verse 9 too. I'm looking up on, on the screen. Oh, here, I've got it right down here. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. He's saying this right after these two kids are killed. Why does the Lord say this to Moses right after this event unless these two young men had probably taken a little bit of, of wine or fermented drink from the drink offering? This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. Drink blurs your mind. Alcohol sometimes compromises your senses. He said you will have no alcohol when you come before the Lord, lest you make the same error that these two children made. And so you can teach the Israelites and all the decrees of the Lord has given them through Moses. Was it possible that they had tasted of the drink offering? And this played a part in their foolish actions. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 29, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has needless wounds? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine those who go to taste mixed drinks. You know, some people have said that they had no strong alcohol available at that time. And according to Numbers, the 28th chapter, verse 7, it does mention in, in the drink offering that it was fermented. It says in Numbers 28, 7, 
The accompanying drink offering is to be a quarter of a hint of fermented drink with each lamb. Pour out the drink offering to the Lord at the sanctuary. The drink offering wasn't meant to be drunk by the priest. And so tonight, I, I pray that we can examine ourselves. I know when we do communion, and Paul talks about it when we take the Lord's Supper, he says to the church, the Corinthian church, that, that church that was so self-centered, the church of strange fire, we could actually say, because there was contentions and fighting and all sorts of things going on within that Corinthian church. And Paul, and Paul said to those Corinthians, you know, when you come to church, I want you to examine yourselves to make sure that you are not profaning this precious act that we're taking part of, the Passover of Christ. And so I could say, and I would like to say tonight to myself, and I have the last week, I've said, Steve, you need to examine yourself. You need to look at your motives, look at your heart. When you come to pray in the morning, wherever it is, you need to make sure that you're bringing the right fire because the, cert, the one thing you don't want to do when you pray is get God mad. You got pride in your heart. You got rebellion in your heart. You got sin in your life. If you really want to get close to God, you need to repent of that. You need to get some fire and you need to get it in here because you can pray until the cows come home at night. But if you've got wickedness in your heart, the Lord isn't going to really listen to you. He's nigh unto all them that call upon him. Those that have a broken and a contrite and a repentant heart. You want a miracle. That's wonderful. We all want a miracle. I could use a miracle. The best way for me to, to approach God's throne of petition is to make sure that I get all the way into the holy place. But I'm not going to get there unless I go by the brazen altar and I stop at the brazen laver and I wash all that crud off and then I bring in that fire that I got from my act of repentance and I've got clean hands because I've washed them in the water of the laver. Then I can walk into the holy place and when I lift up my voice, it doesn't matter whether I'm soft or loud. God hears every word. You know, Elijah was taught that way. He said, the, the, he went and sought the Lord after Mount Carmel, after Jezebel threatened to take his life, and he just wanted to hear something from God. He was running for his life. He was afraid. And he ran back to where Moses received the law in the area of Sinai, and he went into the hills, and he wanted to hear God. Lord, don't you know I'm the only one left? It's a little bit of self-pity. Don't you know all the things that I've done for you? And look where I am. And then remember what the Lord did? He sent an earthquake. Ah, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. God sent a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And then he sent a strong wind and broke up the rocks. It was a terrible wind, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And then 
a still small voice spoke to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's the word he said. What doest thou here? Who told you to come here? Who told you to come to the spot? Did I direct you here? You came here because you allowed your, your weariness and your discouragement to direct you to a place I had not sent you. And then he sent him back and he gave him help. And Elijah went up into heaven in the chariot. He made it all the way. So I, I thank you. you we've, we've talked a little longer tonight than might be normal. But I pray that, uh, that you've got something from this message that will stir your heart and it will motivate us as a church to approach him, to approach God in the way that he's called us to approach. Thank you again for joining us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, tonight, I can feel your presence in this room. I can feel your presence in my heart. I pray that you would stir us all, that your word would speak to us even at this very moment as it has been. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.